Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Orney, and joining me on the line, Mr. Ethan Pioneer Player Sax. I hear that you're done with Limited and that you're all Pioneer all the time now that you're on the Pro Tour. Mr. Mr. Constructed over there. Yeah, we're changing. Either we're changing the name of the podcast or I'm leaving. I don't know which of the two is going to happen, but uh, Counts of Constructed, can I interest you? Princes of Pioneer? I mean, I I think it's a good sign that I'm enjoying messing around with uh, Rakdos Sacrifice and Pioneer. But uh, yeah, I, I had to break it to Ben. I'm enjoying myself. I don't know what to tell you. Also, isn't Pioneer the worst of the constructed formats? That's what Twitter tells me. The Pioneer's terrible. How would I know? <laughs> I don't know. It's all mono green, right? No. So Twitter's lying to me about the pioneer landscape? Twitter would never lie to you, Ben. That's a diverse <laughs> meta. I, it's shocking. I haven't played. I've done, what, like five leagues now, I think, so far? I've, I've, All the constructed players are out there thinking, oh, you sweet summer child. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. Another two months of grinding. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, I haven't seen seen another Recto Sacrifice deck. There's a lot of a lot of weird combo decks out there. Lotus Field, um, certainly Mono Green. I uh, played a Golgari mid-range deck, easy 2-0 against them this morning. So there's there's stuff out there. Nice. How's the sideboarding life? I've been I've been iterating. How, how do you feel about that? Ooh, got, look at you! I've got a couple, got all the lingo down. I've got a couple spicy Ethan one ofs. I don't know. I truly, truly, I need to like hire a coach or something because I like sideboarding. Every time I get to it, I'm like. I don't know, maybe these. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I, there's nothing I could possibly cut. And then, yeah, it's tough. It's tough out there. I don't know. How do, how do people do it? I don't know how they do it. That's why I play limited. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is what we'll, we'll be talking about today. The, the podcast will be intact this week as we ship off Wilds of Eldraine with 50 takes in 50 minutes. Ben, so two things. First of all, weird to have a second arena open coming up next weekend. For this format, have we ever had a double arena open for one format? I don't know. I'm glad for them to give me $2,000 back to back. That's what I, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you feel like you're going to run it back? Do you have enough time next weekend? It'll be dicey. State finals <laughs> next weekend. For those that want to follow along with the marching band season, we placed... Oh, I can't say that. That's embargoed. <laughs> Never mind. We placed very well in semi-state... <laughs> last weekend i'll leave that to your imagination amazing Uh, and we were this is not embargoed we were third in our class at the bands of america indianapolis super regional which is also quite good um so yeah marching season's on track state finals next weekend so i will get home late saturday night and probably again presumably stay up way too late trying to queue for day two but i'll be free on day two you know and after that you'll have more free time absolutely you yeah, know it. That's what I know. And <laughs> the the next question, because I'm not sure if we're, maybe we'll get to this at the end of the takes, but we don't really have it in the takes. Like, what our overall feeling of the format is? Can what are you, what are your thoughts? Are you still happily drafting it? I know you've been dipping your toe into the shadows of Renistrad Remastered flashbacks this week. So are, are you done with Woe? I think I'm done with Woe until the arena open while Shadows is out because I really enjoy Shadows. But regardless of which format I have chosen to play over the last week, all I have done is lose. I am in the worst slump of my yeah, life. Yeah, but that's I a think. self-create. I mean, I've only watched a little bit. That's a self-created slump, at least in Shadows, correct? I think Probably, but in Woe was kind of trying. Okay. <laughs> still losing. I, I'm still living my plot four, plot three life, you know? I've done <laughs> an embarrassing number of drafts in that rank. Who do you need to impress, you know? Our <laughs> I'm listeners not too, love I'm not you. I'm too worried about it. Yeah, I, I can tell. I've just have been, been on a, a slump. Yeah. Really unlucky lately. <laughs> I only draft, I did one Shadows flashback draft, and I, I don't remember what my feeling of it was when it was out. But I did not enjoy it. I was like, "Oh no, I don't. I don't think I want to do this." So I've just been uh, just been sticking to my my sixty card life these days. Wow, just I know. abandoning limited completely. Limited's dead. You heard it here first, folks. Limited's dead. I mean, it did die. Oh, that's a really good point. We should talk about that because we haven't talked about it um, on air. I guess we've talked about it on on the tube, but not on uh, on the pod purely. There's a huge announcement this week about limited being dead they're killing draft boosters and replacing them with a, a an amalgamation of draft boosters and set boosters called play boosters if you want to know our full takes we have a video up on our youtube channel it's about 25 minutes long where we really talk over the announcement and and 
really walk Ben back from the edge of saying the world is ending. Well, one thing I do want to an addendum to our announcements, which was largely our takes were largely going to be fine. I'm cautiously optimistic. You're just optimistic, but like largely positive. I think the world the sky is not falling. The world is not ending, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I would like to say as an addendum, you had brought up the point that price is a big issue, right? Mm-hmm. That it's maybe going to be a, be a rub for some folks. But your point was also that more people might play limited just as a result of play boosters existing. And I think maybe, but I think I wasn't quite able to clarify my thoughts when we did that. So I just kind of abandoned ship on my point, but I have thought about it since then. Yes, more people might play limited, but I have a feeling that the higher price point for paper limited might ultimately like just balance that out, possibly even in a negative way that the the price hike might exclude more people than play boosters existing will bring more people in as a result of just, hey, I've got these boosters, I can play so limited. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, To counter that, haven't like the price of draft boosters been the same for like 20 years? Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Due for a raise, certainly. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I think. But But anyway, I, I, we're shills. Like I make my money doing magic stuff. So like, obviously I am biased. I want this to be successful so that I can continue doing what I love. But also I truly think it's just my temperament as well. And my assessment of this is that it will not be a big deal. Yeah. I think fair take. Um, okay. Well, we got uh, we got a nice, nice, easy, fun episode for folks to send off Wilds of Eldraine and Lords Limited fashion or for coming back. If you're new to the pod, hello and welcome in the future. And you're coming back to listen since Wilds of Eldraine is up on Arena or flashback on Magic Online, whatever it is. And you're like, hey, I want to mess around with this. It's at my LGS. I'm going to bring packs to a chaos draft, whatever it is. We got you covered here with some fast and dirty takes to get you caught up to speed. A few housekeeping things before we get into that. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show will always be free, but everybody gives back via the Patreon gets access to a number of things, depending on which tier. Um, everyone at the base level gets access to the Discord, an excellent resource for 24-7 limited tech support. Moving on up the reward tier ranks, you can get access to the show a day in advance. You can even get access to the show notes. You know what I do when there's a flashback draft? I don't listen to our voices because I, God help me if I have to do that again, but (laughs) I do pull up our Google Doc of our show notes of the 50 takes and I read through them takes, you know, five minutes, whatever. It's easy peasy. You get access to that. If you want to be at that reward tier, you can get access to a private section of the discord. If you're at the hero tier and you can even get monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben, I got a new person getting in touch with me uh, this month to set something up for next month. So that's pretty exciting. Got another person rolled up in there. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, or you just want to show some love our way, that's the place to do it. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we're welcoming Joe TMB, Isle, Lucas, Young Dilgore, Dan, Dr. Unks, Miguel, and Jimmy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Cannot say thank you enough. That was quite the assortment of names there. All over the place. Some initials, some screen (laughs) names, some unusual names. I love it. Yeah. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. Coolstuffinc.com where they've got cool stuff in stock. As Ethan said, maybe you're coming back to this episode, dusting off one of those boxes of woe (laughs) that you've got sitting in your closet that you purchased right now on the first listening of 50 Takes. You've got it in the closet. You're coming back a year or two later, busting it out, and you're listening to this message again because brilliantly, I recommended that you saved a draft booster box of Wilds of Eldraine. Now the draft is dead. You'll never be able to get 15 card packs again. So get them while they're hot at CoolStuffInc.com. And when you do, make sure you use code LOL, all caps, get 5% off anything you order, whether it's magic cards or otherwise, or maybe you're like Ethan and you've qualified for the pro tour. You're going to need to buy some singles for that pioneer deck. So whatever you're collecting, get it at coolstuffinc.com. I am 100% going to be assembling my pioneer deck, whatever I end up playing from Cool Stuff Inc. That is for sure. Uh, Ben, I know you have no trouble feeling FOMO on weekends where there are events. Any KubeCon FOMO? for you this weekend. I know you're not a huge cube guy these days. So I wonder if it if the sort of excitement outweighed that or if you were like, eh, looks fun for you, not for me. Well, first of all, I would like to say that I am a champion of FOMO. Not, yeah, not a, I just know. good at feeling. Okay, I am just okay. top-notch FOMO. And I didn't feel much for KubeCon. Like, I enjoyed following along to people that were there and seeing records and seeing decks, but I didn't feel like I needed to be there necessarily. And if it ever worked out with my schedule to go, I would happily go, but I doubt I will oh, be right. able to if it is mid-marching season. So Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> also, also know that the dream of going is not really there, so the FOMO is not really 
uh, an option. Yeah, I was watching the coverage. I thought it was excellent. Shout out to NRG and the folks who were uh, were on commentary. I thought it was really, really good. Mm, I was feeling a little bit of it, maybe for for coverage, maybe for a weekend full of drafts. It seems like a cool take on a on a Magic Con for sure. So might try and make that happen next year if I can. Any thoughts on Wilds of Eldraine? Before we get into these 50 takes, any teasers, any little tidbits? It was kind of hard to do 50 takes, like not because the format's not good. It's just hard to put in a box, I think. That was the challenge I had. Like, usually I feel like I'm pretty good at summarizing formats up. And this one was a little tough. I think you're being too generous. I think it's because this format isn't that great. And not to say (laughs) like this format is excellent, but I think it is, I mean, it's weird to say that I might like this less than one. That's probably not true. So I'm sort of already, as we approach the end of the year, I'm thinking about our fun, like best worst of the of the year episode that we're going to be doing. And I was like, this might end up being my least favorite set of the year. And that says a lot about the quality of the sets we got this year, because I like Wilds of Eldraine, but I don't know if it's great. Everyone always has to be. I can't think back more than the previous set. What was before Lord of the Rings? Uh, Mom and One. Oh, I like this, but I don't know if I like this better than one. Yeah. It's I close. Those are definitely the bottom two. I would say Lord of the Rings number one for me right now. Yeah. Mom two, and then these two, this and one, duking it out for third and fourth. Yeah, well, I'm about to see what, what Lost Caverns brings to the table. But yeah, I mean, that, that again, like I said, I don't think that's like a, a knock against this. It's Or it, it's like... It's the worst of a good batch. That's a great... If Lost Caverns of Ixalan is better than this, like, that's a great year of limited sets. But I mean, similar to... And you're talking about 50 takes. I felt like one... Like, there was a very clear do this thing to win yes. in one. Like, there's not... That's, I guess, where I struggle is there's mm. not really a, like do this thing and you'll win. There's like, well, if you want to do this, you should do this. If you want to, da, 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 mm-hmm. then you should do this. Yeah, various decision trees about the rules of engagement rather than clear rules of engagement. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's get 50 minutes on the clock and dive in here with point number one. In Wilds of Eldraine, Finding Your Lane was the name of the game. Yeah, I completely agree. This is what I felt from preview season on, and I think it held up. The biggest difference between Wilds and original Eldraine, the lanes were very narrow in original Eldraine, right? Yes. It was like those two-color archetypes, like very linear, almost all of them supported, and the monocolor decks mm-hmm. as well that had like very clear game plans, very clear directions. Wilds of Eldraine like, was a little more segmented. It was like, you know freeways instead of a, a path in the woods like you, mm-hmm. you were getting on this interstate or you were getting on this interstate like depending on whether you were playing you know celebration aggro or some mid-range or some blue control there were there were broader avenues but there were still very distinct roads you like my survivor analogies i'm gonna take i'm gonna take your analogy one step further because one of the funny things about driving around pittsburgh whenever i ask my wife for directions so frustrating to me because i'm like okay which way and she's like oh you can actually we could go straight left or right And it drives me nuts because I'm like, I want you to tell me which way to go. And I do think that's kind of an analogy for the format. Like there is a bit of like, well, you could do this, this or this to get to a good deck. And people a lot of the times are like, yeah, but what's the way to go? You're like, well, (laughs) it kind of depends, you know? That would be so tilting. (laughs) That's tilted just listening to that format. Is that what people think when we give them advice? Like, well, it depends. Yeah, they're like, man, (laughs) delete, delete, delete. Yeah. I want to take the most efficient road to get from point A to point B always. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, Wilds of Eldraine was a high power and a high synergy format, which is kind of weird. So here's what I'm thinking with this high synergy in that like you needed to be in the right area, right? Like you needed to be in white, red celebrator, you needed to be in green, black food, or you needed to like there were very linear strategies, but also just great cards too. And a lot of times the great cards dwarfed good synergy. And then the best package was okay, I've got great cards, and I've got great synergy. That's I do the- think I do think great power kind of trumped synergy in this format a little bit. Yes, I would say if I have to pick one, I would say I would take power over synergy like it's a high power medium synergy format. And I think that's one of the things that people got tripped up on is they'd be like, oh, I'm in this style of deck and then would leave more intrinsically powerful cards on the sidelines in favor for cards that seemingly had synergy. But ideally, 
And I think this is the case a lot of the times, but ideally you just wanted the powerful cards in your deck to also equal greater than the sum of their parts. You know, like you just didn't want to be playing, I don't know, Ego Drain, for example. It's like sometimes this card's going to be good, sometimes it's not, but you'd probably just rather have a spot in your deck opened up for something that's just going to, even if Minstrosity isn't a fairy, it's still just going to be good on turn two. Well, and also like the old adage of draft decks, not cards, like in this format, you were drafting cards and drafting decks. Yeah, you really did need. You really did need to pick the good cards. Mm -hmm. Number three, common wisdom was that it was a Jund format, but really it was a Wubergu format format like I mean, I don't even know how I feel about this. We're going to get to some color rankings a little bit later. But like it's it's for me, it's a Wuber format, not in that order. But I'm just I'm not allowed to draft green. Like, I'm just <laughs> just truly not, especially after when we were going last week over um, the like red tooth genealogist after the whale pick. You were like, well, you're never going to end up in blue green. I was like, oh, you're right. Even here. I'm not Red Tooth Genealogist, <laughs> sorry, the Vanguard, the, the three one. I was like, even here, I'm not allowed to draft green. So I'm just off it. Yeah, that's fair. But like trying to mix our opinions in with common wisdom and the data, certainly you can say blues commons are definitively the worst. Like if you're just talking about face value, I think. I, so if we're going to use the D word, I did check. 17 lands this morning because I was curious and I eliminated the first two weeks as our good friend Sirkovitz often tells us to do. So I eliminated the first two weeks sorted by top users as you like. Can I tell you? I'm just going to run through it here. Torch number one, my boy, Hopeless Nightmare number two, Candy Grapple number three, Into the Fey Court number four, Hopeful Vigil number five, Spell Stutter number six, Hamlet Glutton is not I don't I can't even find it. I have to scroll down so far. Like <laughs> there's no green commons. I don't know what to tell you. Like I think the data may be on board with green stinks. All right, I'm here for it. Sign me up. <laughs> Data's great. Get on 17lands.com, everyone. But all of that is to say, <laughs> wow, I, ca- I can't tell if he's endorsing or not. Um, but <laughs> all of that is to say is I think the common wisdom began with this was a Jund format. And really, I want to go back to point one with this. Finding your lane was what the format was because all the colors were viable in their own way. Like, yeah, I'm not allowed to draft green. I don't think green is bad. And green at uncommon is a banger, as we'll see later. But like, I think all the colors and almost all the color pairs are viable. Yeah, I I don't know about all the color. I said almost, almost. Yeah, 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 almost. Certainly. And I do strongly agree that all of the colors are viable for sure. Speaking of number four, knowing the pillars of the format and which cards played best where was a huge part of being successful in Wilds of Eldraine. I think Hopeless Nightmare is like the poster card for this. It's a great example. It's a top, top common that would sometimes be correct, I think, to not include in your black decks, which is crazy to think. But isn't that the mark of a cool and good format, kind I, of? I agree. I think those decisions are really fascinating. Because it's not like, it's it's more than, okay, it's more than intrinsically powerful like Candy Grapple, like you're always going to play it. And it's, or sorry, it's it's less than that, but it's more than a secret gold card. It's more complex than that, right? Yeah, I agree. Number five, red-white celebration and green-black mid-range food were the two best decks. And they formed the backbone of the format, I would say, that aggressive red decks, red, white celebrate being the best of those in in our opinion, green, black, mid range grind, whatever. And then blue control being, I think the third pillar slash, I would even call it like go a step further and call it blue bargain a la Sam black. But, uh, but yeah, I think those are sort of the three pillars, the sort of that you can go left, go straight, go right of the format. (laughs) I love it. Number six, the Wilds of Eldraine color power rankings. Maybe we're going to have some live shakeups here, a little live <laughs> tribal going on for those of you that also watch Survivor. Uh, number one, red, black, number two, green and white kind of tied for third and blue bringing up the rear at fourth. Now, I was doing that judiciously for a an overall picture of the format. My personal power rankings, I think, would go red, black, blue, White, green. I, I also think I would have green in last place for myself. You said red, black, blue, then white. Red, black, uh, white, and blue, kind of being equal. And actually, honestly, I've drafted black the least. I have drafted this format like a Jeskai format. Interesting. Primarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I would have red first, 
then black, then white for me, then blue, and then like honorable mention green. It existed, but no, no <laughs> thank you for me. But yeah, I think the thing we can agree on is reds in first. Yes. Feel very strongly that red's in first. Then that the rest, I think, kind of depends. Well, and up to what you want to do and knowing how to draft those decks and so much. Like, there, there's just so much fill in the blank about how you want to choose your own adventure, those style of books, as it were. Yeah. All right. Number seven, the official Lords of Limited archetype power rankings. Number one, red, white. Number two, green, black. Number three, red, black. Number four, blue, red. Number five, big upset here, blue, white. I don't think that's that big of an upset. Not not for me, but the people. The people cried out, what? I know. This is also maybe a bit of an upset. Number six, red, green. Might be too low for that. Number seven, blue, black. Number eight, white, black. Number nine, green, white. And bringing up the rear, blue, green. Much like I think uh, people in agreement about red being the best color, I think depend nowhere no matter where you land on these archetype power rankings i think blue green's probably in last for everybody yes i think it should be number 8 roll tokens were billed as the headliner mechanic for the format but bargain stole the show it really did like roll tokens not that they were bad not that they didn't exist but they were almost incidental, you know, like the good cards that made roll tokens were good and the bad cards that made roll tokens were bad and roll tokens didn't really tip the scales. It wasn't like everything that says ring tempt is good, is better than you think. That was not the case with roll tokens. You think Besotted Knight isn't very good? You're actually right. Besotted Knight is not very good. Well, but almost everything that said Bargain on it, conversely, was good. Yeah, Bargain was, I mean, that's our next point here. Number nine, Bargain was just upside on cards. Bargain fodder was everywhere. Sure, sometimes you waited things a little bit more if you had a hatching plans or whatever, but like having tokens, having hopeful and hopeless enchantments running around, it was just pretty easy to have fodder for the bargain cards. And so going in a card like Agatha's Champion, the five mana four, four, trample, bargain, fight something, we were like, ah, like this is usually a clunky-ish card plus like you have to jump through some hoops for it. No, no, no. Barg- it wasn't like it was modal. It wasn't like it was something you had to work for or build around. It was just pure upside, I think, on a card. Yes, absolutely. Number 10, the roll token power rankings. Number one, young hero. And I think a pretty clear number one. And, and a huge mover up, I think. We we were pretty low on this in the crash course. Um, but yeah, a clear number one. And I think a clear number two is wicked roll tokens. Yes, absolutely. That's being the most aggressive of the roll tokens and the those aggro archetypes cared about, you know, the boost of their creatures the most. Mm-hmm. And the next three, I think you go in whatever order, kind of. We have a monster, then royal, then sorcerer, but those are all fairly interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And then bringing up the rear is cursed, which is another another one that has its own point coming down the stretch. So we'll take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with the rest of the list. Cozy up this fall with the unmatched comfort of MeUndies. MeUndies has the softest and most breathable underwear you've ever experienced. Whether you're going from school all day to band all night or grinding a tournament for the weekend, MeUndies is here to keep you comfy. I wasn't surprised that MeUndies was more comfortable than the generic store brand four-pack underwear I usually get. (laughs) But I was surprised that I noticed and I cared. Uh, I only started off with two pairs of MeUndies, but I will definitely be converting my whole dresser drawer soon enough. MeUndies has a style for everyone, whether it's black classics, fun seasonal prints, or modern geometric shapes. I am currently rocking a pretty fun unicorn print. And there's more than just underwear. Explore their full collection featuring cozy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and more. If you're not happy with your first pair, don't worry. MeUndies has a simple philosophy. It's on them. You wouldn't use penny sleeves for your cards at a tournament, and you shouldn't use anything but the best for your most precious areas. To get 25% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash LOL. That's MeUndies.com slash LOL for 25% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Number 11, celebration happened naturally. And the intrinsically good cards helped you celebrate. Like, it wasn't that celebration didn't matter. It wasn't that it wasn't something you were trying to do in your red-white decks. 
but you weren't going out of your way to play clunky enablers. Right. This goes back to the high power, high synergy format. Right. It The good celebration cards were good cards. So you picked the good cards and then by extension, you had a good celebration deck. Right. It's like maybe you do a thing where you're like, well, I'm going to play a return triumphant because I can get back my ash and then get the young hero role. And then I go to attacks and now my ash is a, that's a two mana hasty four, four or whatever. So there's like, that's the kind of like, I don't know, slight greater than the sum of its parts concession to synergy you might want to make, but you're not like, yep, playing Basada Knight. Yep. Playing like you could play red cap thief. It wasn't the worst thing to play in the world. But a three mana two three is a little understated and you're not doing it just to get the two rectangles. Speaking of number 12, rectangle theory was alive and well in Wilds of Eldraine because of rolls, celebrating food tokens, rat tokens. There were rectangles abound in this format. And I feel like it takes it a step further than just like whoever makes the most rectangles wins. It's like whoever uses their rectangles better wins because it's not good enough just to make food tokens are you also aggressive and chucking them with sweet tooth witch or sacking them to your hollow scavenger or whatever like or are you tapping them for mana with night of sweets revenge like it's not just enough to make the tokens you have to use them as well sweet tooth witch was my arch nemesis in this format like just take (laughs) eight eight to the dome from sweet tooth witch after i'd stabilized the board that happened too many times (laughs) number 13 adventure was very appropriately powered in woe except for Imidane's Recruiter. I owe that card a huge mea culpa. It's it's very good. Very, very good. Truly, no kappa. I think Imidane's Recruiter is the best pack one pick one in the set. Oof. Gruff triplets? Absolutely not. No no question there. Imidane's Recruiter is making your deck like 95% of the time. Gruff triplets is hard. And Imidane's Recruiter, it's the same thing as like, were you talking about Sweet Tooth Witch? Like, how many times have you been like, all right, I think I'm in a good spot. And your opponent's like, two knights, you're dead next turn. You're like, oh, well, that's not fun at all. But some of that is that being the best deck intrinsically also. Like, some of Imidane's Recruiter being the best. If red-white were as bad as blue-white is, like, as far as, like, composition of the archetype, Imidane's Recruiter would be significantly worse. Not significantly worse, but would be worse. Like, it's getting a benefit of the archetype that it goes in best being the best archetype. I guess. I think this card is more egregious than Zenith Flare in Ikoria. Like, No. For sure. Because only one deck can play Zenith Flare. Every deck can play Imidane's Recruiter. And like all you need to do, just make the adventure three white white. Just make Imidane's Recruiter cost one red red. Like that's all you need to do to not make this card the best card in the set. But it is. I like Fawn's Bane Troll is a significantly better Magic the Gathering card than Imidane's Recruiter. I don't <laughs> think so. I don't like, think so. Ah, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I will fight to the death. But it, like, if we're talking power level, Imidane's Recruiter is not the most powerful card in Wilds of Eldraine. I don't even know if it's top five. But powerful. it's the best. No, okay. What I'm, what I'm saying is a different thing than you. And let's okay. let's make sure we really argue about this right now. Um, <laughs> I'm saying it's the best card to pack one, pick one. I'm not saying it's the most powerful, just like does the most busted things. Like that would probably be Gruff Triplets or whatever. What I'm saying is this is the, for in terms of power and likelihood to make your deck, this card gets the nod. I would agree with that. That's hard to argue with. Okay. <laughs> also, <laughs> adventures being very appropriately powered in Woe, off-color adventure was really cool. It was a cool twist on the adventure thing. Like we saw this with off-color kicker. I really like this like split thing. It adds a lot of depth to the format. And it's really impressive that they're able to do it as they did in DMU in a set where like there's so much fixing. And so you you have these decisions of like, okay, I'm taking Threadbind click. Is that because am I splashing the blue path? Am I splashing the white half? Am I playing both? Is this a pull into that color pair? Like really cool questions that you have to ask when you take those cards. Well, and cool that aggro was as good as it was too, because it prevented the format from turning into good card soup, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. otherwise, otherwise you just take all the best cards, which is kind of how I was drafting the format. And that wasn't necessarily <laughs> the default strategy because streamlined aggro was so strong. Number 14, Avoiding design traps was critical for success. Yeah, I think biggest defender here is blue-white tapping. But but a lot of this, like the blue-white tap, blue-green five mana value, even like ruby daring tracker for like four power matters. It's just like those kinds of things outside of, I would say, 
red, white, and black, green. The, the signpost stuff and the, what the what Watsy said the color pairs were supposed to do just wasn't really it. Well, and a lot of that goes back to high power, less synergy, right? Yes. Like the synergy that you could get from blue, white tapping was easily disruptible or the synergy you got from blue, green, five mana value. Like it was there. You could do the thing, but it was just oftentimes worse than the card quality you could get as powerful cards. Right. Number 15, the princess takes flight was a sweet build around uncommon. Yeah, like cool that it was intrinsically powerful. Also, cannot believe that I was like excited about this card in the crash course, not even thinking about bargaining it. Just <laughs> didn't even cross my mind about bargaining it and skipping chapter three. Um, but yeah, the, the times where you got to princess takes flight, pick it up with stockpiling celebrant, Princess takes flight, bargain it away. You just win. You're just winning that game. Well, and cool also that it's very powerful, but also similar to Hopeless Nightmare. It's like sometimes you leave it on the sidelines or right. sometimes it doesn't make your deck or sometimes it's not a high pick for you, depending on where you're at in the draft and what you've got. Like it was a very wide power range on yeah, that card. It's a really good point. Number 16, Collector's Vault is a lifestyle. A magazine that you have a lifetime subscription to. <laughs> I love this card way more than I should. Like, it's not the most powerful magic card. But if you could get to a certain game state, it was very powerful. And I love trying to navigate to certain game states. It's probably a leak that I have as a magic player. <laughs> you do really like a warm, cozy feeling. I do. Like, I you want to win in a resounding fashion. Like you, you're like, I don't want to, I don't want you, you're at, you know, I'm at one, you're at zero. You're like, I want to win and I want to be winning for many turns. <laughs> That's exactly how I like winning for sure. Uh, but Collector's Vault, yeah, this did it all. It, it was fixing, it was filtering, it made sure you didn't run out of gas, let you splash, gave you rectangles. Gave you half of a celebrate trigger every turn. Gave you artifacts to chuck to food fight. That's still on my bucket list. I but, know. Uh, yeah, great card. Number 17. There were a lot of X1s, and X1 was a very punishable stat line. Draft them with caution. We have Rat Out, Flick a Coin at Common, and Shrouded Shepherd's Adventure at Uncommon to hose X1s. Where did you land on Rat Out? At the end of the format, I rarely cast a rat out ever on yeah. the format, but I do think that's largely due to how I drafted the format more than it is an indictment of rat out as a magic card. I think rat outs are very good if you're a proactive black deck, like getting those early racing situations and swinging an X1 in your favor while getting the rat for one mana is big game. But I just didn't draft that style of deck a lot. Yeah, I, I think I, I came down on Rad Out as the format progressed. There was the time where I was like, every black deck wants one. But I think every black deck wants like 0. 0.7 copies <laughs> of Rad Out, something like that. Um, but the, the interesting thing, again, I thought it was going to be like, do not ever put X1s in your deck because of this. But you still did. You still played the good ones. You played Ratcatcher Trainee. You played Minstrosity. You even played Armory Mice sometimes. And if it got got, it got got. But like, it's cool to have that much stuff that targets X1s and still have a line with which above you would still play them. Right. Well, you had to have a curve in yeah. this format. And a lot of the twos had one toughness. So yeah. You were just kind of stuck with it. Number 18, the Enchanting Tales bonus sheet was largely a miss for Limited. Kind of a bummer. Like, we we almost got a preview of play boosters with this format because <laughs> there were basically 14 <laughs> cards in these packs. Like, a few exceptions. Yeah, Hatching Plans probably emerged as my favorite of the uncommons, even though Utopia Sprawl was excellent as well but like not a lot else right there was stuff like bitter blossom a really powerful rare goblin barbarment was a cool build around it's a very powerful card but yeah i think hatching plans to me is what i'm going to remember from the enchanting tail sheet yeah and that's cool right that is cool to have that in um con the context of bargain i think that's that's a big win in a bonus sheet that was largely a big loss Number 19, lots of woe cards required things of you, but still weren't the best cards even if you met their requirements. Again, going back to power, like high power mid synergy, a card that I really liked, Cursed Courtier, but there's still a cost. Like you never felt great tapping out on turn three for a 1-1. You were like, <laughs> please no flick a coin, yeah, please right. no flick a coin. <laughs> right, fingers crossed you don't have removal. And then maybe I'll get to do the thing. You know, similarly, like, 
Barrow naughty. Like, sure, maybe you're going to get the lifelink, but but maybe not. And like, you better hope that your deck also wants the rest of this card, you know? Well, and even if you do the thing with Cursed Courtier, for example, a powerful card then presumably still not one of the best things to do in the set. That was just like kind of some cute synergy you could have. Right. Yeah. Again, not a bad card, but like when you think about, okay, I have to, I definitely like you look at this card, you're going to have to do some work, probably not a lot of work, but you're gonna have to do some work in terms of drafting, deck building, et cetera, gameplay. And then even when you do the thing, it's not like you auto win, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like, yeah, I'm definitely going to jump through a bunch of hoops just for this. (laughs) Not usually is that something you want to do. Number 20, the Golden Egg Award goes to Prophetic Prism. Was there ever any doubt? Was there ever another contender? I don't think so. I love Prophetic Prism in this format. It is my child. <laughs> so C- Collector's Vault is your significant other and Prophetic Prism is your your love yeah. child. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Prophetic Prism is great. I mean, like, does it all, but does it all quite mediumly, which is what you want from a golden well, egg, right? No, I think does it actually does it all just at a cost of two mana do nothing in a format where aggro's kind of a menace. Like mm-hmm. you had to do some work in terms of not dying to aggro to make Prophetic Prism a good card. But if you did that work, was a premium card. Yeah, I agree. Number 21, speaking of, splashing was good if you weren't hyper-focused aggro. You had, I mean, more cards than we have on this list. There's Prophetic Prism, Evolving Wilds, Crystal Grotto, that's a common, that's colorless, uh, colorless and uncommon. We talked about Collector's Vault, our our favorite uncommon, Edgewall Inn, so good. <sighs> Gosh. Um, and then the Green Fixing, Brave the Wilds, Root Rider Fawn, you know, like just so many ways, Return from the Wilds, a lot of ways to fix your mana. A lot of ways to have a light splash, a heavy splash, five color soup. Very cool. Yeah. All that was great. But number 22, you had to make sure if you were doing that to respect aggro. Ben, I know Boros got you over the finish line to get 2k in the arena open. Have you touched it since? A couple times. Yeah. I mean, I'm not above a good Boros deck. I certainly think my fun in the format lies in trying to beat the aggro decks. And that's been by far my favorite thing about the format is that the aggro decks are so good, but there are also a lot of just very good cards that aren't aggressive cards and just trying to solve the puzzle of how do I consistently not die and then get to cast all these very powerful cards. That was by far my jam in the format. But if you weren't packing aggro, you definitely needed to be prepared to beat it. Like lots of cheap creatures, lots of cheap interaction. You couldn't afford to be slamming your prophetic prism on turn two. You need to be casting your prophetic prism on like turn four, five, six as a double spell after you'd already kind of stabilized. That is a really cool feature of the format that like we think Boros is the best deck in the format, but then the next best deck isn't like red, black aggro, right? The next best deck is a deck that counteracts the aggro deck pretty well in black green food. Yeah, I think for me, compared to Phyrexia All We Won, where it right. was jam, 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 yeah. I figure out how to jam in a slightly different way with each yeah. of the archetypes in Phyrexia All We Won. This was, there was some push and pull, some, some yin and some yang. Mm-hmm. Number 23, Brave the Wilds is one of the coolest variants of Lay of the Land we've ever seen. Um, yeah, single green in search of a basic with pretty massive upside. Yeah, I think actually where this card was best was in like red green type down decks where you could like turbo out bargain, make your land a three, three and be bashing for like seven or something on turn three or four with a double Mm -hmm. spell. It was really oppressive. I never really got to do that because I again, I wasn't wasn't predisposed to draft that type of deck, but it happened to me. I mean, way more than I would have expected (laughs) when I saw Brave the Wilds during spoiler season. Yeah, I never drafted the red green decks either really but i definitely see it for sure i definitely saw it on the other side of the battlefield number 24 ginger brute still great in 2023 i mean ginger brute is the young hero of wilds of eldraine right i mean it really is card yeah. card loved a young hero roll token it also just loved roll tokens in general mm-hmm. played very well in the food synergy decks it just did a lot yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I do think like came around to, you know, thinking about Ginger Brood as largely a red card, great in aggro, and then kind of a trap in food decks. But like, not always. Actually, like sometimes when you had Night of Sweets Revenge, it was just like hasty land war elves, you know? Yeah. Number 25, Grabby Giant has reach. I attacked into that card an embarrassing amount of times. <laughs> 
the amount of times I've done it and then like in the pause where I go, oh no. And then I go, maybe they think it's a, maybe they think I'm a tag kind of thing that they never do. They always call. They always call. But it got a shout out, I think, Secret Haste as the true secret reach of the format. Have you ever attacked a ginger brute into a Brave the Wilds land? I did. And yeah. I was very sad afterwards. Yeah. Secret haste. Also a thing to look out for. Number 26, taking good one drops and two drops was incredibly important in draft. I think about, you know, going back to, I'd say, our Imidane's recruiter argument just now of like intrinsic power printed on a card versus eating your vegetables in the draft, like minstrosity versus sweet tooth witch. Sweet Tooth Witch is a better card, but you got to take Minstrosity because you have to have a functional curve in the format. Hopeful Vigil versus Stockpiling Celebrant. Stockpiling Celebrant is like what you want your white text to be able to do, but it can't do anything. It can't do those things if you don't take the Hopeful Vigils. And your deck full of Hopeful Vigils without Celebrants will be fine. Your deck full of Celebrants without Hopeful Vigils will not. Well, and Hopeful Vigil, I think it just is a better card than Stockpiling Celebrant, whereas Minstrosity... Not so much with sure. which yeah. yeah, but I cosign the feeling. All right, number twenty-seven. You could go infinite with three blind mice and Yenna Red Tooth Regent. Did you ever see this? I saw a screenshot of a Splinter <laughs> Twin situation. I I did never experienced it myself. So Yenna makes a copy of any enchantment, right? Any enchantment you don't have an, another named enchantment of, or more than two copies or whatever. So you can make one copy of three blind mice with Yenna. And then Three Blind Mice's chapter two and chapter three is make a copy of target token you control. Well, Yenna makes a token of Three Blind Mice. You're off to the races. You are you have a printing press of Three <laughs> Blind Mice sagas just going. Printer go burr. Yeah, love to see it. Number 28, removal was back and better than ever in Wilds of Aldrain. We had Torch the Tower, Candy Grapple, cooped up i think certainly a gap before cooped up but towards the tower and candy grapple both being absurd rates while also having the word bargain printed on them was just incredible yeah i hadn't quite quite thought about that that like they're really strong removal spells with just upside on cheap efficient removal spells like you would already just play torch and candy grapple without the bargain text on them and they would be great cards and they were even greater <laughs> With the word bargain on them. And I think going forward, these pacifism variants is now the second time we've seen this. The first time was Dreadful Apathy in Theros Beyond Death. These pacifism variants that then let you exile, I, I think I, going forward, I'm going to just respect going into the format. I think that's a, a real way to bump these up. Because then maybe if there's a little synergy of being able to flicker it or whatever, you could you could do some real cute stuff where you exiled cooped up with that on the stack, or you exiled the creature with that on the stack. You could bargain cooped up away to like your Archon's glory or whatever. So I think that's true. And yeah, so and then a gap after that, you know, like blue didn't get a great common removal spell. Green's Curse of the Werefox was like, okay. But those three, and certainly those two as well, the, the red and the black ones were just excellent. But it's so funny to think about too, with just roll tokens versus bargain. Like if Curse of the Werefox, instead of making a roll token, says bargain on it and gives you some upside with bargaining, like it's probably a way better card. Just funny how the mechanics yeah, and where they landed panned out for the strength of the removal spells. It's a good point. Number 29, the Imperial Oath Award for clunky looking overperformer goes to... Into the Fae Court. I mean, I am here for this take. I, I love an Into the Fae Court in my blue decks. There is not much more of a deflating feeling than when your opponent is stable and they cast Into the Fae Court. Like, you just feel like, okay, yeah, pack it in. Game's over. I just got three for one, kind of with a 1-1 one, one fairy, token running around too. For a live look-in on Ben feeling just that, you can check out our draft battle video for this format on our YouTube channel. Um... Yes. So I think just for me, this is the card I had the greatest journey about. You know, we came off of Lord of the Rings with Lorien Revealed. That was your pet card in the format. That card was great. Here's another five mana draw three in blue. Is this going to be excellent? Is this Mold Drifter? No way. This is too clunky. And then like, nah, this card's just great. This card's really good. And like, you really, like, it's not that it's so unique, like maybe your blue decks had hatching plans, but your blue decks needed ways to get ahead. And the fact that you had this at common to do that was really good. 
Well, and the beauty of it also is that you didn't really have to spend a pick on it. Correct. You were going to get a copy of Into the Fate Court if Blue was the right place for you to be. And Blue was often open because it was a little less good at common and the decks were a little harder to put together. Um, A little more decision making that goes into the construction of Blue decks. So yeah, I I love Into the Fate Court. I love this being good. But five mana draw three is not a great Magic the Gathering card intrinsically. It just happened to work out in the format with how it was constructed that this is what blue decks really needed after they stabilized. Right. I'm not saying this is not my takeaway from cooped up. I'm not like and now I will go into every format saying the five mana draw threes in blue are good. But so that's why I think this this gets the Imperial Oath Award for me. Yeah, I like it. Number 30. Ariot's Tempting Apple is the best threat and effect we've seen in a long time. What what can't this card do? Be good for me. Yeah, be good for you, but I bet it was good against you. It was good against me. Yeah, it's really annoying to lose to, but by the time I accepted that it was a good card, I started being less annoyed losing to it. Yeah, it's cool that this was colorless. Cool that it had some synergy beyond just you know, being a threatened, like the fact that it was a food, um, the fact that you could gain life from it, I think was also pretty cool. And it was fun to like count backwards, be like, okay, that's in play. So now I'm actually at eight. So how do I need to play with this in play against me? Or this was then like lava act sometimes against your opponents. Like this card was just good. And you could even do, I never really did it though. But you could do a steel and sack deck with callous cell sword. Well, and picking it up with stockpiling celebrant was a cool little synergy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely did that for sure. I finally put this in my deck for the first time this week, this past week. Twitch chat convinced me to do it. And then I was playing the games out on mobile after I was done streaming. And it was miserable. Like it just confirmed that I never want to play this card. <laughs> but it's, wait, it's good. Wait, but can you unpack that a little bit more? Or? I put it in a red white deck where it should be good. And it was the typical terrible threaten. Like you have this after uh, they've killed your two drop and your four drop and you're left with an area. It's tempting apple in your hand. And you're like, what am I doing with my life? Okay. Well, typical Ben. Number 31, Knight of Sweets Revenge is a really cool build around. We talked about this a little bit more. And I'd say even, you know, you were, when we were talking about it and I think it was a greater garbage or in the crash course and you were like, I started to try and frame it as fires of invention with the mana aspect of it. And you're like, eh, you're kind of selling me. And that was more like, sure, the overrun variant or whatever was cool to have access to. But if you weren't making use of the mana ramp, if it wasn't like now you can double spell, now you have, you know, you have a mana sink so you can use these food to dump mana into something like that was the cool part of this card, the powerful part of this card. And then the rest was just gravy. You got to take this next one. Number 32. I don't care what the data says. Back for seconds rules. Cosine. I love back for seconds. The card's really powerful. I do think, yeah, the interesting thing about this is you often think of like soul salvage or whatever, get back to creature variants. Like you need high creature counts. I actually think you often played this in lower creature count decks, like 10, 11, 12 kinds of creature decks. But like just really having strong stuff to get back was important. Bargain was upside. You're saving mana on this sometimes. Pay three mana, get the four drop back into play. This card's great. Don't don't let the, the haters get you down. Love back for seconds. Number 33, white's got a bad reputation, but it's top commons all play very well together. You don't got to tell me, baby. I'm stockpiling Celebrant's number one fan. Well, and just that that and Hopeful Vigil being the top two commons and how well they worked in tandem. Like the fact that they were the top commons, again, going back to high power, medium synergy or high power, high synergy. They were both the most powerful commons and then also had synergy with each other. Pack those along with Kellen's Light Blades interacting well with Hopeful Vigil, cooped up, being able to be fired off early, picked up with stockpiling celebrants later, moved over to another creature. Like, and White just had a good game plan in and of itself. Could play aggressive, could play controlling. It, its cards all just worked very well together. They were very complimentary. Preach. Number 34, Lord Skitter's Butcher, a.k.a. Rata 2-3. That never really <laughs> caught on, did it? Lord Didn't Skitter's Butcher on. is closer to Voracious Vermin than you would think. I mean, it's basically a 2-3 Voracious Vermin that can't grow. Yeah, but sometimes has other utility. I mean, it is a better card, but it, they're largely interchangeable. Lord Skitter's yes. Butcher was significantly less good than I thought it was upon seeing the card. I went to a brewery on Friday to do a paper draft with some friends, and uh, I think for the first time used the Menace ability on this card for for lethal. But like, I was like, oh, wow, this can do that. Well, that's pretty good. So like Voracious Vermin can't do that. But I thought this was going to be the best black uncommon in the set. It's not even close to close. Not even close. 
Number 35, Enchantments Dying is a Trap. Rest in peace, my pre-format take that Warehouse Tappy was going to be the best black common. Yeah, you were like, is this is this card broken? But I, to, to be fair in your defense, I also thought this card was going to be excellent. But the Enchantments Dying thing is just a trap. This card's bad. Wicked Visitor. And I guess ba- I don't want to use the B word because I did have like one time a successful Black White Warehouse Tabby. I think even Knight of Doves was in that deck, maybe like kind of deck, but it wasn't something I went after. It was something that sort of fell in my lap a little bit. Well, and one of the things too, this goes back to bargain versus roll tokens. Like you could bargain without roll tokens, right? Because you got tokens everywhere to bargain with. So for Warehouse Tabby to work, you needed to have made a roll token and then bargained away the roll token, which were arguably the worst things to bargain away. Like there were just so many steps for not enough payoff compared to the power level of other cards. But imagine if Warehouse Tabby says when you bargain, like make a one one rat, like all Mm. of a sudden it is back to like premium premium, you know? Yeah, that would have been sweet. Number 36, Unruly Catapult plus Curiosity was a sweet combination. Admit it. It was good. I admit that Curiosity with exactly Unruly Catapults was good. I I admit that. Yeah, that was probably the only time you were playing Curiosity. (laughs) Full disclosure. (laughs) Yeah, I think I kind of wish that we had done a bit of a a rehash of our grades because I feel like you really planted your flag for some yikes cards. How many times you cast that uh, white three mana plus one plus oh or kill a creature power four greater (laughs) next to never never once i realized how good killing slight plays was number 37 blues commons were largely unexciting but they could perform if you put them in the right deck like i remember thinking ice out again thinking of not understanding bargain as upside but like well ice out's just cancel who cares but like cancel with upside cancel with the possibility not not that you were saving the mana on it, though that was sometimes relevant, but that you were able to sacrifice something to this was so good. Yeah. Hatching plans ice out. It's not much of a better feeling than having a hatching plans down and having an ice out held yeah. up. Yeah. Number 38, the rare land cycle is sneaky good. And a lot of them are worth just splashing for on their own, like splashing the half of the, the rare land that you weren't playing to be able to activate. Yeah. The was restless fine stock is the blue green one that mm-hmm. I ended up with two copies of in the team draft. And Alex ended up with one copy of like, I remember when I took the first one, I was just like, this is the most powerful card in the pack and chat was like uh you maybe take this or whatever i was like no like this card rules and it goes along with the idea of like take the i get to take this card and then i get to play it which means they're not playing it which also means this might might enable a splash but i just ended up using them to splash themselves you know like that's so strong yeah they're very good i think the witch stalker's cottage the black green one is the best of the cycle but all of them were quite impressive. Number 39. Okay, three bowls of porridge, Ben. We're, we're bringing it back. Greater garbage. I mean, garbage, unless you were playing Night of Sweets Revenge, I think. Yeah, it did like some stuff, though. So no. Here, here, no. no. Oh, stop. Garbage. You, you can't c- tell people to put this card in their deck. You c- No, I guess I just like, I was so, I was sort of impressed by, yes, the food synergy of it. But okay, well, it lets you like pass with two mana up with your spell stutter, or you can activate it a couple times, then you can pick it up with stockpiling celebrant, or it's something to bargain, or okay, back to power versus synergy. Uh-huh, uh-huh, like, uh-huh. It doesn't do enough on okay. the synergy front to just equal the baseline power level for the format. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Parge in the garbage. Number 40. Cut-in was one of the most punishing curve toppers for aggro decks, like, ever, maybe? Yeah, Curve I mean, was great. If you cur- I mean, you don't even need to do one, two, three. If you're just two of those three, one drop, miss, three drop, cut in, like, you just win. Certainly on the play. It's tougher on the draw, but on the play, cut-in was part of some near unbeatable curves for aggro decks. Number 41, the official Lords of Limited off-color adventure uncommon power rankings. Brought to you by The List. The List. There it is. Thank you. (laughs) Number one, Imidane's Recruiter. Clear number one. Clear number two, Gingerbread Hunter. I think fairly clear number three, Shrouded Shepherd. Number four, Woodland Acolyte. Getting less clear. Number five, Picnic Ruiner. Number six, Frog. Frolicking familiar. Wow, Threadbind Click is shockingly low. Number seven, Threadbind Click, I am outraged. Number eight, Spell Scorn Coven. 
Number nine, Calisel Sword. And again, much like the blue-green archetype itself, Tempest Heart coming in at number 10. I mean, look, you you had an opportunity to mess with this list, sir. I did. I did not read closely after the first three. I went first three. Yeah, that checks out. I think I only looked at the first three. I would put, I think, Threadbind Click behind Shrouded Shepherd. Ahead of Woodland Acolyte. Unfortunately, this has already been shipped. It's, it's, it's official. It's been rubber It's official. Today. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Number 42. Rate really matters in Wilds of Eldraine Draft due to the cheap, efficient removal at common. You can't be playing your four mana 2-2 two, two flyers or your three mana 1-3s. You just can't. Or, or even your four mana 3-3s, three like Ashiok's Reaper. Like It's just so hard to sign up for something like that when someone can just go, Torch the Tower bargained. You're done. Well, and also a lot of those things that you're talking about are cards that need to stick around on the battlefield to do the thing. Like mm-hmm. want to stick around for two or three or four turns to really make up for the bad rate that you played for them. And they almost never would do that because of how how well the removal interacted with them. Yeah, for sure. Number 43, Gadwick's first duel is best friends with Frantic Firebolt. I mean, I guess it's truly best friends with Torch, maybe. But Frantic Firebolt later in the game was just like Doomblade, Doomblade, basically. Murder, murder. Did you? I, I bet you did this quite a bit, Mr. Jeskai. I was not a Gadwick's first duel stand in this format. No, I yeah. rarely played that card. I saw it be good against me once or twice, but it just was tough to find a time to play it and required so much planning ahead to maximize when you're already on the back foot reacting to your opponent. So it was hard to not have your plans go awry with that card is what I found. Yeah, I think that those all those caveats are fair. I definitely came around to it and saw like if my blue decks were interested in running quick study, certainly if my blue decks were interested in running Frantic Firebolt, the more of those I had, the happier I was to run Gadwick's first duel. Number 44, ignoring signposts was mostly correct, but synergy still matters. Yeah, so when we say ignoring signposts, we're just saying like you don't have like to be in red black you don't have to focus on rats, right? Like I wasn't really caring. It's why Tattered Ratter just is replacement level for me most of the time in the format. That's the one in a red 2-2. If your rats get blocked, they get plus 2, plus 0. Like, sure, you play that in red-black. Your red-black deck is never going to miss that card. You're never getting into red-black for that card. Red-black was just like, it could be it could be grindy, it could be more rectangly, it could be aggressive. Knowing what you were doing in that respect was more important than like, ah, I see Totentons, I'm rats. That's what we mean by ignoring signposts. I think one of the, you know, we're talking about this format maybe being medium or like still good, but not as good as some of the other formats is exactly that, was that largely the decks were, you play the best cards. And then the decks are what they are. And there was still synergy there because the best cards had synergy. But it was tough to build synergy that outweighed the power level that naturally existed in the format. Yeah. Number 45, Kellen's Lightblades was a reward for drafting control decks. And you could get them criminally late sometimes. I mean, and this was eminently splashable. If you were just like, whatever, if you were doing your Jeskai thing and you were base blue red, sure, slap a couple of Kellen's Light Blades in there. That card felt right at home. It was so good. Again, going back to, we think about these kinds of cards, these kinds of effects, two mana, deal three to an attacker, a blocker, eh, bargain, kill it dead, and bargain is upside. That's amazing. Well, and also you knew that a lot of your opponents were going to be walking into it because the the plan A in the format was turn my thing sideways, Correct. get you dead. Yeah, I had a really cool game. It was either my day one or day two run for uh, the Pro Tour qualifier that my opponent telegraphed that they had Kellen's Lightblades with their Princess Takes Flight in play. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, and you stranded it because you didn't attack back That's into like, them. Okay, because they had an op. They paused when it was on chapter one, and I attacked, and I was like, oh. That's it. That's what they have. So then I just didn't block or attack the next turn cycle and got my creature back because they didn't have another way to bargain it. That was cool. That was cool. Number 46, greens on commons were all bangers and a large part of the color performing well or a large part of being incentivized to draft the color, right? Like, and these are all bangers. Like Tough Cookie and Welcome to Sweet Tooth were my one and two on commons for the format. Gingerbread Hunter, Agatha's Champion, Stormkeld Vanguard was so good. Like, can you beat a 6-7 with evasion? You can. I mean, if you're on board and you're aggressive, but like, if you just look at Greens Uncommons on Scryfall, it's overwhelmingly just excellent cards. But the weird thing about it 
is they were all almost all B minuses or Bs. Like I think some of the other colors had uncommons that stood out a little higher than some of greens, but greens were all just rock solid, pulled you into green and then trapped you there. (laughs) (laughs) Number 47, cursed rolls are both better and worse than they look. Talk to me about this. Well, like they could be amazing. You drop it on a Hamlet glutton and you're like, holy cow, this is awesome. And then you also see them with like a bunch of one ones and two twos and it doesn't do anything. Or you also see them with creatures that have plus and plus one counters or their own roll token on them. And you're like, this doesn't really do anything. But it's still like, you know, the the sort of you, you compare this to cards like you know, Transmogrify or Kasmina's Transmutation or whatever. Stroke of Midnight is in this format and I don't think that card is playable. Like the whole like shrink the thing into a one one is generally not a good card, especially in a format where, you know, you can still you could pick it up with Celebrant or you could, you know, put a roll token on it to make it still a threat. And when I saw the card Diminisher Witch, the three two with Bargain make a cursed roll token, I thought I would like never play that card. And again, it's because Bargain is upside that I was playing that card, but I was also happy to have that cursed roll access to that cursed roll a lot. So just interesting, like, yeah, it was last place in our power rankings for the roll tokens, but still good. But it's also not great, you know? Situationally, a yeah. very wide power range. Yeah, I do think Stroke of Midnight's playable. I want to I wanna just put a, a word in for that card, a little <laughs> reference for Stroke of Midnight. If you're a control deck, Stroke of Midnight's playable. I don't agree, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's not one of our takes. It's a it's a it's a sub bullet point. Number forty eight. Food fight was a clunky looking rare that could actually get there, and I never got there with it. Mister Jess guy never got there. Never got there. Ah, it's so good. Yeah, I got to get double food fight in a like red black oops all rectangles deck. I think. I actually took, I could go back. I think I was doing this on stream. I took a Sweet Tooth Witch over Torch the Tower Ooh. in that deck because I was like, this makes a Torch the Tower and it's a 3 2. Um, ended up being really good. Yeah, Food Fight was fun. I had, to, I had to lose to it first with an opponent who had it and uh, and Collector's Vault. And then I was like, okay, I get it. I get Holy it. Now. Old Marshall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Number 49. There are. I would say three magic numbers in Wilds of Eldraine. I agree. I love this take. There's one for X ones, right? So getting out of range of that is important to know. Then there's four, which gets you out of range of Bargained, Torch the Tower, and Candy Grapple. And then there's six that gets you out of range of Bargained Grapple. And I guess like- There's Hamlet Glutton. (laughs) There's Hamlet Glutton. And Vanguard, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I don't even think about this just in terms of the creature stats. Like sometimes you had- counters with your picnic runer to drop on creatures or you had roll tokens to put on things and so already you were thinking okay like what colors am i playing against what you know even kellen's light blades like getting to four so like you have to bargain it if you're going to kill this you wanted to think about how you were augmenting your creatures based on these thresholds of toughness love it number 50 Wilds of Eldraine was our most successful set as a podcast. Gotta be, right? We had a resounding victory over Team Resources in the showdown. Absolutely savaged them. Yeah. I won 2K in the Arena Open, which was sweet. Another one coming up, maybe another 2K in the works. Love to see it. And I got the Arena Champs in Pro Tour qualification for the sealed format. I would say by far the coolest accomplishment of those three. (laughs) Sure, for sure, for sure. (laughs) Uh, So that's like... I will remember this format fondly, obviously, for those things, but I don't think this is not close to an all-timer for me. But do you think some of that is just how dialed into the format we were? Like, I feel like I think worth coming across as saying this format was kind of simple, kind of straightforward, but I also feel like I have a deep understanding of the format and that maybe some people don't quite grasp it as well as I do. Yeah, that that I think if if you have to again to go back to our like, you know, tweets, if you have to give this elevator pitch thing, I do think understanding that dynamic between power and synergy that they both matter, one matters more than the other, but that's not to say that the other doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Like I feel like I really understand that. And yes. I feel like you do too, and that maybe that is a little simple because that is at the end of the day, I think what the set boils down to. Yeah, but also a skill that you need to be good at magic, right? Like being able to find that line and when to dial towards the power and when to dial towards the synergy. Yeah, well, because the the knobs are going to get tweaked in different directions for different sets. Right, for sure. 
Yeah, very cool. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there, and more importantly, to get 5% off anything you purchase. You can find all of our content on our website at lordsoflimited.com. There's links to our Twitch streams, links to our YouTube channel where we're dropping multiple videos every week, so head on over there and like and subscribe and follow, do all that good stuff. You can find our tier lists. You're going to want to get in on that for Lost Caverns coming around the corner. Uh, You can get access to our merch and, of course, our episode backlogs all on our website. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. You never clear your throat before we record. You're just good to go. Always, huh? <laughs> I feel like you judge my throat clearing all the time. <laughs> no. <clears throat> no? I don't think so. I just don't. I don't know. One final throat clear. What's that? What's that doing for you? I don't know. It's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, the I think much like off. the clap and the countdown, it's all psychological. Sure. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I'll be. laughs>